Welcome to episode 53 of the Borussia Dortmund Fan Club London podcast, Time Flies When You're Having Fun. And today is a Champions League special draw. My guests are Connor Fister, who is a social media editor and writer with PSG Football Club in Paris. Welcome, Connor. Thanks so much. It's an absolute pleasure to uh, to join. It's fantastic. We've been speaking for a while, and obviously the mighty PSG is certainly one of the most fascinating clubs, and you have Ajax as well in your background. Uh, so there's plenty to talk about, and also plenty to talk about about the Champions League draw. And then uh, another guest who we've had on the show before, uh, Colin Farmery, who uh, is a well-known author of six football books. Um, it may be more than that. Colin probably correct me, but also writes for the well-known uh, British soccer magazine When Saturday Comes. Welcome to the show again, Colin Farmery. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm delighted to be here as always. Fantastic stuff. Well, it's Champions League draw day today. And obviously, um, that's a big thing for clubs uh, across Europe, 32 clubs that are taking part. Um, and um, yeah, the draw has been taking place in the past hour. So we're fresh, box fresh, so to speak. Um, and um, before we get started looking at the groups, um, just a little tiny bit about uh, my guests. So Connor, uh, essentially, what is your role with PSG and how long have you been doing it for? So, so I just recently started at uh, Paris Saint-Germain. I've been, I only started in the 1st of August, actually. Um, and my role at the club is uh, as the creative lead for the social team. Um, so I head up sort of any variety of different projects, um, mostly video-based stuff for be it Twitch or YouTube or Instagram, different platforms, um, but not limited to, to any of those. Um, in terms of coming up with concepts, con executing concepts and content, and then uh, helping to sort of internationalize PSG. Obviously, PSG is a massive brand globally, um, and my joining the team was part of the the move to become even more international internally. It's really exciting. Um, and I guess, um, I mean, PSG have got some very, very cool uh, merchandise as well. I've seen some of the yeah. stuff we've done with Nike as well, uh, the basketball. Um, I don't know what that branding is with the basketball. Uh, it's Jordan, yeah, the, the Air Jordan Nike brand. Definitely PSG is a huge club in terms of a huge priority of theirs is the lifestyle and culture brand, which is really, of course, uh, a 21st century football concept. I don't think that's something we're necessarily used to having grown up with it. You know, maybe you had a club shirt, but now it, you know, it goes quite next level um, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, and Connor, you're from the United States. Um, how did you get into football uh, as a kid? I mean, were you basically a high school uh, baller or did it? Yeah. So it started, it started when I was really young. I grew up in a very rural part of the United States um, in Maine, which is, Beautiful. It's about as far northeast as you can go. It's as far northeast in America as you can go. It's right next to Canada. Uh, and I grew up playing football, soccer. I'm going to, I'm going to unfortunately have to use that one time in this podcast. Sure. Um, I grew up playing, playing football. Um, I actually played as a kid uh, in a Dutch run football academy in my state. There was a guy from, uh, from the Netherlands who had played in Rotterdam's academy at Feyenoord until until he was about 18 and then he had some injuries, moved to the States and he started a football academy. I ended up playing there, played my whole life, moved to Europe for my studies when I got older, um, fell in love, 
stayed in Europe um, and have been living in France and Italy and the Netherlands um, for the past seven years and working in football for basically all of that. I started working for um, a social media company called 433, traveling around to um, a a ton, I don't know, a hundred probably different football matches over the course of a couple of years and then worked at Ajax and now at PSG. It's a long and weird journey. That's an awesome, and actually it's really cool because um, I write for 442 here in the UK and I was part of the team that got the cover story of Berling Haaland yesterday, which is my first cover story, so I was really excited about that. Um, and and um, yeah, and before we uh, before we come to um, to to Colin and and, and the 125th year uh, anniversary of, of Portsmouth FC, two-time England champions, um, what are your first impressions of PSG? Have you come across any of the stars so far? And what's it actually like being at PSG? Like the offices and stuff. Um, it's a like massive club stadium, or is it in an office building, or what? Yeah, it's an absolutely massive club. Um, and and so, I mean, so I working when I worked at Four to Three, I worked a lot in partnerships. So I, th- that that was a lot of networking with different football clubs around the world. So um, I mean, appropriately today with the Champions League draw, uh, pretty much every club on that list at some point we worked with in the course of my two years working at Four to Three. I haven't been to all the teams, but I've been to a lot of them. Um, and having worked at Ajax, which is a pretty I mean, it's a massive club. Of course, historically, it's one of the biggest clubs in Europe. But in terms of the size of the actual organization, um, PSG is just massive. And it, it's not just football. Of course, they've you know they've got esports and and handball and all these different. They're branching out into a lot of different areas. But um, the club's massive. The, the the stadium and the offices uh, are about ten minutes apart by by on foot, and it's in an area of Paris called uh, Boulogne, which is actually technically sort of outside of the, the 22 arrondissement that you, that you have in Paris. So it's pretty far out. Um, and then within that office building, you have basically everything. Um, you have the, the video production teams, the social teams, the sponsoring sponsorship teams, the HR people, everything. Um, and it's, it's, it's definitely huge. Uh, it, it, it took a little bit of getting used to that compared to IX, which was, a little bit more um, cozy, if you will. But um, yeah. And I won't let you get away without answering. Have you seen any of the stars? I have, I have, I have. Um, It's one of those things, I mean, having grown up in a, in the middle of nowhere um, in the States. I think if somebody would have told me the people that I've, you know, met in my life, I wouldn't believe them. Um, But you do get used to it over time. I think, you know, people from the outside are always telling you like, Oh, what's it like meeting this person, that person. Um, and it, it's weird how it becomes quite normal. So actually just yesterday we were filming some some uh, content with uh, a bunch of the players, Marquinhos, Mbappe, Ramos, uh, Vitinha, the whole team. They, we have these sort of media days throughout the season where um, you, you film a lot of content to distribute throughout, throughout the year so that that way the player's time is more conveniently divided. Um, but yeah, so just 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 gotten to meet the team a little bit in the last couple of weeks, actually. Yeah, amazing. Well, of course, we'll be wanting to hear a little bit about Messi at some point. But I'm coming to Colin and the mighty Pompey. Um, and I I studied two years in Portsmouth and had the pleasure of meeting Colin when he was on the board at um, Gosport Borough Football Club. And so we're going for PSG to Gosport Borough and um, and Fratton Park. And they've been doing some uh, pretty big work at Fratton Park. I've seen 
new stand and and I've seen there the uh, the lights and uh, and and also the planning going on for the 125th and it's looking really good and the team are looking good um Colin how's it going with you and what have you been up to I hear you're in the south of France which is not the worst place to be right now Indeed, yeah, I'm based in the South of France at the moment, down in Marseille. So, um, so, so I think Connor and I are probably having a few, a few words at some, at some point or other, I'm sure. But um, yeah, no, I'm so uh, delighted that um, at the back end of last season, Pompey uh, invited me to, uh, to actually chair a committee to deliver the 125th anniversary celebrations of the club, which will be in season 23, 24. So we've got sort of like um, that. You know, uh, eight or nine months still of planning to do the first event will be in April, April 2023, which is actually our, our, our birth month, uh, eight, April, April 1898. That was the um, the time Pompey Pompey were actually founded. So that's a very exciting project that I'm, on, I'm really looking looking forward to doing. Um, and yeah, I mean, on, on the field, Pompey made a great start the season. I think mean, we won uh, three and, and drawn two of our first, first five league games. So we're hoping that we can uh, get promotion back to the championship, which uh, which we feel is like the minimum place Portsmouth should be. So yeah, I, I say, I've always taken interest in the Champions League draw because then the day down here, although my team in the South of France is is FC Martigue, who uh, uh, just been re-promoted back to uh, the French third division. You know, obviously Marseille are the, a huge regional team in, in, in the area I'm at. So, so you can't avoid them one way or the other, win, lose or draw. There's always something going on at, uh, at the Velodrome. Absolutely, yeah, and um, and Portsmouth FC are an exciting club, and they've got a really uh, fantastic stadium, the Fratton Park Ground, which reminds me, uh, in terms of the intensity, in terms of the kind of closeness of the community, a little bit of my home club, Borussia Dortmund, which is obviously this is the Borussia Dortmund London fan club podcast. Um, obviously, it's about a quarter of the size of BVB's um, Zignali Duna Park. But um, it still has an incredible closeness. I mean, when you're on the stands, you can almost touch the goalposts. Um, uh, it's that close. And uh, and uh, Connor, I definitely recommend a visit to Fratton Park. Um, it's a sort of mini Anfield, if you like, here in England. Um, it's always sort of been on my list. I got I got lucky to go to a lot of stadiums, but actually, um, and this is a quick shout out to one of my favorite people in the football world. Um, Ellie, I don't know if you're from Copa 90 Stories, um, used to make a lot of documentaries. I'm sure you've probably seen the episode he made of Derby Days at Portsmouth. Um, and ever since I saw that, that is, I just thought I have to get to this game. Um, yeah. When I was working at 43, we made, we started to try to make our own sort of, uh, you know, version of that, which, you know, he, he was doing these big built out documentaries, which I, I dreamt of doing at the time, but our budget then was me with a phone and, and my friends traveling together and uh we went to a lot of little derbies but we always had said like oh if we could have gone to that derby but of course it was quite hard because it only happens once in you know a long time but it was it was for a long time it's been on my list yeah if i'm not mistaken that episode was called our city can beat up your city or something like that is that right <laughs> yeah <laughs> something yeah, along those lines 
Indeed, yeah. I, I, I wrote one of the books I wrote was about the, the, the Ports of Southampton rivalry, which is a very fun thing to do because I, I was actually brought up to, between the two cities in the village where I was brought up. So I, I kind of, I went to Southampton almost as much as Pompey in the in the um, in the in the nineteen seventies. But whenever I went to Southampton, see Southampton play, I was always taken by somebody who was supporting the opposition, and I never lost the habit. And so yeah, Pompey Pompey became my team. Definitely. And it's exciting to hear about it. And I look forward to a visit to Pompey soon. Um, guys, let's get stuck in with the Champions League. The first match kicks off on the 6th or 7th of September uh, before the sixth and final match on the 1st and 2nd of November. Uh, and then there's a break due to the uh, FIFA World Cup in Qatar this year, which is in the winter for the first time ever. We've got uh, standing, uh, all, all st uh, standing available for the first time in the Champions League. Um, and, um, and before we look at the groups, I must just say a massive congratulations on PSG for their, what was it, 7-1 win against LOSC? That's incredible at the weekend. It's been it's it's been an absolutely astounding start to the season. Even by PSG standards, obviously PSG are, have been have been quite dominant in league on the last couple of years. But having watched a lot of PSG football in recent years, if you, I don't want to get myself hyped up for the season to come. But at the same time, the the team Galte definitely has the team playing a very fluid and attractive style of football, and things do look to be coming quite at ease at the moment there seems to be a bit of a gel um it's it's Paris Saint-Germain so there's always going to be an element of of you know Hollywood to it it's huge you have all you have three of the biggest football players in the world playing mm -hmm. alongside each other but it's been a good start no question an absolutely great start and some great kits down there as well. Um, uh, Colin, Group A, um, Ajax, uh, Amsterdam have been drawn alongside Liverpool, Napoli and Rangers. From a British perspective, how happy do you think Rangers and Liverpool will be happy to be playing against Napoli, Ajax? I can certainly imagine that the atmosphere um, at uh, Rangers uh, when they play against Liverpool is going to be absolutely insane. Well, I think I think it's always great when you get a kind of like you know one of these Battle of Britain games, really. Cause, you know, back in back in the day, I can remember you know back in the 1970 competition when Le Leeds and Leeds and Celtic played in the semi-finals, and more recently, I remember Rangers perhaps going to Leeds as well. So you know, these games have always kind of been something that's had a resonance in in, in the in, in the UK. So I think I think the fact that we you know Rangers have been drawn in a group with one, with one of the English sides, I think is a, is a is a great thing for the for, for the domestic game. Um, but I think looking at that group in general, you know, it kind of Rangers could have fallen a bit worse. If I'm absolutely honest, you know, I think I think they'll be they'll be fancying their you know, their chances, particularly at kind of like Ibrox to, to 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 pick up pick up a few few results there. So I think I think it could be could be quite a competitive group that one. I think Liverpool will, will probably probably be pretty happy with that draw. I would have thought, you know, they that they'll look at that and think there's nothing there that they they can be particularly afraid of but that said you know we've made a very really dodgy start of the season at the moment so you know this game comes around quite quickly and 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 as we know if you if you if you lose your first fixture you know, you're up against it in the in these championship league league group stages yeah absolutely and actually i watched the man united liverpool game i don't watch a lot of premier league games because i watch mostly bundesliga and i watch a lot of bundesliga in fact uh, second bundesliga and even third tier as well but um which is now new available uh, free on YouTube for anyone in the UK to watch. 
which I think is fantastic. But um, Connor, you were you worked with um, Ajax and um, incredible club. They played uh, the Champions League last season against Dortmund. I was there at the game. I can't remember the score, but Ajax absolutely battered us on both legs. Um, unfortunately, as usual, um, similar to Dortmund, uh, Ajax has then gone ahead and sold a whole load of players again this summer. And um, do you think they'll fancy their chances there? I mean, obviously, Liverpool-Ajax is a great, great classic tie that we saw a lot of in the 1970s when they were the two, you know, 70s and 80s when they were the two greatest sides in Europe, basically. I have to say, just right off the bat, this group, um, as if I'm if I'm a fan of any of these four teams, I think it's fantastic. I mean, could you ask for for bet three better away days than going to you know Amsterdam to the a fantastic stadium, which on Champions League evenings the atmosphere is electric. Anfield, I've been to to what's now uh, Diego Maradona Stadium in, uh, in Napoli. It's I mean, the stadium itself is is run down beyond ball belief, but the atmosphere is incredible for Champions League as well. And then Rangers, yeah. first first time in I think what sixteen years, um, which what a fantastic couple of games they had playing against PSV in the last round of the qualifiers. I don't know if you guys had the chance to see that, but just I didn't. It could have. It was the whole game was on the knife's edge for one hundred and eighty minutes, basically. Um, it's such a tough group in some ways to make i i would be hard pressed to make any predictions i last season i admittedly with ix when we when we had to go to dortmund away i was thinking this could be quite difficult um it had been a few years since the group stage had gone well um obviously i think the fans especially ever since the 2018-19 season where they got to the semi-final against tottenham the expectations, the entire club culture just shifted at Ajax. Um, it went from being, you know, a club where being in the Champions League was an excellent achievement to suddenly we better be getting through the group stage every year. Um, and for the direction of the club, that's an enormous challenge um, to have sold these players. They sold Frankie de Jong, Matthijs de Ligt, Hakim Ziyech, Donny uh, van de Beek, all within such a short span of time. And they've done it admittedly an incredible job to basically maintain those standards you know they've been fighting in and around the the knockout stages for the last couple of years at the same time my gut feeling is always a bit how how long can you maintain this standard of just letting all your, i mean it's not letting they certainly the, the the feeling within ix is they don't want these players to leave and i think you've seen those storylines coming out in the media now definitely yeah. same at dortmund every the, single every single season erling Haaland is a massive loss even though we got sebastian haller from uh, from ix indeed and exactly and it, it becomes so difficult you see with release clauses and these kinds of things the players are getting clever and clever in terms of well the agents i should say because sure, it's sure. always coming from the agents themselves in terms of structuring their career, they know, you know, uses a stepping stone because now you see you have situations where a player like Anthony, fantastic talent. Um, I'm sure he's thinking back, I should have put a, you know, I should have argued for a release clause in my contract because he seems so desperate to go to Manchester United. At the same time, um, you've had a change of coaches. Uh, Alfred Schroeder came from Bruges, very similar stylistically. He said it himself in one of his first interviews, one of my last weeks when I was working at Axe. He said he talked about 
basically you shouldn't expect a ton of difference in the football that I want the team to be playing because our philosophies are quite similar. Of course, there'll be adjustments, but it should stay the same. Of course, <laughs> that might not manifest itself necessarily. However, Ajax is a club where the, the, the football has to be played a certain way, even if they aren't going to get the best results in the world they will stick to that yeah. philosophy regardless of the coach um fantastic group i would be hard pressed to make any predictions because any of the i think to get any points on the road in that group is going to be an absolute struggle uh napoli i think are undefeated in the last two seasons in the group stage in the champions league rangers at ibrox first time in six years it's just going to be exciting yeah, it's going to be exciting, and uh, and uh, you know, and 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 uh, and I mean, Napoli feel like the team at the moment right now. They're wearing the Emporio Armani kit. Uh, they're unbeaten. Uh, they're always the Stadio San Paolo has always been very high on my agenda. The Diego Maradona to get down. The Dortmund fans have had a long uh, uh, friendship with the Napoli fans, um, and um, and Ajax, of course, uh, Dennis Gentenar, who Colin and I were on the show with, uh, former Ajax goalkeeper. I uh, should give a shout out to him right now. I'm just going to call this and say, I think Ajax and Liverpool will go through. Colin, any difference to that? Yeah, no, I think that, that that will be the default. But as I said, you know, it, it's a slightly different competition this year. The, the actual games are starting a bit earlier. So that, that, that might give a little bit of a surprise. But I, I, I'd be surprised if, if Liverpool and Ajax weren't the qualifiers there. It would, it would seem a bit of a shock. But I just, yeah, I don't think you... I mean, it would be a monumental achievement for Rangers to go through. But I think Napoli... So it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell. But I, I mean, yeah, probably Ajax and Liverpool, probably. And the game of the group for me has got to be um, Liverpool at Ibrox. Um, that will be just an incredible atmosphere. Yeah, no, I think for sure. I, I think I think at the end of the day, you know, Rangers fans did a did a heck of a lot to kind of pull their team through the the games against against PSV and uh, and in in the in, in the previous round as well. So I think the the stadium will be absolutely rocking that night, and I think uh, it will be a. It'll be a, a, an amazing atmosphere, and you know, one, one to watch out for when when that one comes around for sure. I'm definitely, I'm definitely up for that. Um, Group B, uh, Connor, do you want to lead us in? FC Porto, Atletico Madrid, Leverkusen, Club Brugge. Uh, Atletico played Dortmund a couple of seasons ago. They were two absolutely fantastic ties, which I attended one of them at the Signali Duna Park. And mm -hmm. Bayer Leverkusen, the Bayer Arena, is uh, relatively small, but um, they're certainly a mighty club. Um, and Club Brugge, Dortmund have played several times. I remember going to watch Dortmund play against them in the 1980s. I think it was about 1987 when I was a, a nipper. Uh, we won, we beat them at home 3-0 uh, and then went to Brugge and lost 5-0. And uh, I watched them in the Champions League against Dortmund. I think it was the uh, season before last and it was 0-0. Um, Porto, I've not been to, but Atletico Madrid Stadium, uh, the Wonder Metropolitan I have been to uh, obviously the Bay Arena as well. So uh, I'll just start off by saying I predict that um, Bayer Leverkusen and Atletico Madrid will go through from that group. Connor, over to you. I think it's hard not to feel that Atletico will be quite happy with this group. Um, it's a bit of a pitfall always this in Champions League. Um, I think these clubs that end up in part two who are often massive. I mean, look at the list of clubs, Liverpool, Atletico Madrid, Barcelona, Spurs, Chelsea. It's massive football clubs that are in, this, in the second part. They all start to look, oh, can we draw, you know, one of these smaller part one teams? But 
the risk is, I think, always the expect your expectations start to jump. If you get a poor result in one of those games, suddenly there's a lot of pressure that, oh, you know, we should really be beating Porto. Oh, we should really be beating, you know, Ajax, one of the Frankfurt, these these smaller first part one clubs. But I do think they'll feel that they should they should be getting near the top of that group. Beyond that, it's it's tough. I have also been to the the Bayer Stadium. This was in 2019 for a couple of games, um, a Champions League game as well, actually against Juventus. Um, it's an exciting team. They they're they. It feels at times in the last couple of years they they miss a bit of of consistency, capable of excellent results, and then yet also some shocking ones. Um, but. Uh, I still think probably Atletico for top of the group and Porto and Bayer is, is a, is a, is a toss up 50, 50. Colin, uh, any impressions on what's your match of the match of the group group B? I think that um, Atletico Madrid playing at Porto or vice versa, uh, the Iberian rivals, and that's going to be a pretty awesome game. I think. Yeah, I mean, I mean that, 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 that's the standout game, I think, there. I think, you know, but, but at the end of the day, I suppose it, it is, you know, for, certainly for Bruges and Leverkusen, you know, there, there, there's a, it's not beyond them, I think, to kind of, you know, potentially one of those, those teams kind of challenge for the second place in that way. So I think, I think it's it's actually, you know, of, of all the groups, I think that's one, one of the most open, to be honest. You know, I think, I think there's, a, there's, there, there's a potential there, as I said, you know, for, for maybe maybe one of those other two to, to, to actually surprise and maybe, maybe kind of not, not one of the fancy ones ones out of the top two. But uh, yeah, I, I think in terms of the groups, that, that, that was the one when I was looking through them that struck me as being, being possibly the, the, the most wide open. Absolutely. I think that's a bit of a group of death because uh, German and Belgian teams are pretty good defensively. And then you've got the creativity and the flair of the Portuguese and Spanish and so on. It's going to be a challenging group to get out of for sure, I think. Colin, um, impressions, uh, talking about safe standing, safe standing coming back to England on a trial basis. Um, it's certainly benefiting the Bundesliga teams. Union Berlin will now be able to uh, carry out their games in the, uh, oh, is it Conference League or Europa League? I think the Europa League this season, um, which is a big bonus for them not having to play in the Berlin Olympiastadion. And obviously it means that Borussia uh, BVB will be able to play in front of their uh, 82,000, uh, which will be absolutely insane. And, um, yeah, I mean, what do you feel about safe standing? I mean, you're, uh, you know, you, you and I both remember safe standing in the UK. We remember uh, Hillsborough and things like that. Um, you know, uh, and the tragedies that happened and, 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 I mean, do you feel positively about safe standing? Would you welcome it at Fratton Park or has it already been introduced at Portsmouth FC? Uh, well, I think I think we're, we're we're doing some work on Fratton Park. Um, you know, we've done the the north stand and the, and the south stand over this particular summer, which is the two sides of the ground. But but next summer we're actually going to be working on the Fratton end and also the Milton end. And I, I think certainly the 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 option to put in safe standing there, I think, will be taken up at Fratton Park. So I think you'll see see safe safe standing enclosures at both both ends there. So certainly, as as a club at Portsmouth, we've always been been 
grow it. Certainly, when we became community owned in 2013, that that was high on our agenda from from the beginning. Obviously, it was it was it was outlawed at that particular time, so there wasn't wasn't any way that we could do it. But I remember we hosted the uh, the Safe Standing Roadshow at Fratton Park probably around about 20 2015 or so. So so as a club, we've all always been sympathetic towards it. And uh, you know, I, I think I think in the end, it's about it's about sports choice. You know, I think that, that there's nothing inherently unsafe about about, about stand, standing in a football ground, provided it's well managed. Obviously, in in non-league, a golf season the season before, you know, everybody stands there, or most people stand there in that way. So, so it's a it's a perfectly perfectly safe safe thing to do. If you can do it in a rugby ground, if you can do it in a non-league football ground, then then I'm, I'm sure that you can do it do it in a in in a yeah, professional football ground as well in that way. So, yeah, we're, we're all for it, certainly, certainly at Portsmouth. And uh, it would be interesting to see whether it has any impact on on, on the atmosphere or not. And uh, I suppose I, I've kind of got a feeling that in lots of ways, the people who are going to stand are probably going to be older people who are perhaps a little bit nostalgic for standing up. So, so it'll be interesting to see whether they're the, the, the fans who actually want to generate an, an atmosphere in the old school style. So it's going to yeah. be interesting to see how it plays out. Absolutely. Well, it's a trial basis. And uh, obviously, if there is crowd violence and disorder and so on, then uh, it will be something which um, uh, UEFA are in a position to to pull back in again. Although I think we are starting to see safe standing in England at Shrewsbury and Celtic and other clubs and so on. So, I mean, I think the feeling in England is it's something that's here to stay again. And uh, personally, I could never get used to the idea of sitting down at grounds. And um, um, yeah, I mean, um, we'll see how it goes. Um, uh, Connor, do, do you have safe standing at Ajax or PSG? Uh, they uh, at PSG, I'm not entirely sure to be honest. The the section with the ultras, I believe, is entirely seated. Um, at uh, Ajax, they do have some uh, safe standing areas, and I will just say, on a personal note, uh, I think out of every stadium I've ever been to. Um, in terms of the best atmosphere, I went to um, the Berlin der- uh, derby the year that uh, Union made it back into the Bundesliga, and two years ago the, or something. Yeah, I think it must have. Been, I hope it's not more than that because that means time's going yeah. by too quickly. <laughs> but I was astounded at the quality of the atmosphere and the amount of people that could pack into that little stadium um, for that game. And that was safe standing. I think three quarters of the entire stadium is safe standing there. Yeah, um, absolutely is. Yeah, and the environment is brilliant. I do think it just gets people that little bit more, more involved in the match. It, somehow it feels like it brings you closer to the, to the pitch itself. Maybe. I absolutely feel that. Um, uh, let's go on to group C Bayern Munich. Uh, mighty FC Barcelona, uh, Inter Milan, and Victoria Pilsen. Um, I was at the FC Barcelona game uh, just before the pandemic in 2019, November 2019, and uh, watched uh, Dortmund get beat 3-1 at the Camp Nou, which was uh, an experience uh, into itself with, 19, I think, 99,000 or 90,000, certainly. Um, FC Bayern, well, I went to the Allianz Arena uh, for the uh, UEFA Nations League uh, in June. England uh, drew 1-1. Personally, uh, Bayern, I mean, you've got to admire Bayern, but the, the stadium, Allianz Arena, to me, it just it's very clinical, I found. Um, uh, g- game of the season, uh, game of the group, sorry, Group C, uh, I mean, uh, any of those ties, really, Bayern, Bayern against Barcelona or Inter against Bayern. I mean, there's certainly going to be very exciting games there. 
Um, and um, yeah, I mean, um, I would probably predict um, uh, Barcelona and Bayern to go through, but I would not under any circumstances uh, underestimate into Milan. Been in a bit of transition over this summer and had, had their own kind of like issues. So I think I think it's going to be you know that, that is going to be a, a, certainly a group to watch. You know, in, in, t- in terms of you know, I always always, always have got a soft spot for Inter Milan. I remember going to see them play many many years ago. So so I'm I'm going to predict Inter are going to upset the apple cart one one of those two for both Barcelona and Inter. I think. The, this there can be no doubt that Bayern will be the favourite to get through that group at the top. Um, it, it is a group of death, especially on paper. Um, it's only a question of you know w- where are where is Barcelona in it in its process of rebuilding, and I I don't think we quite know yet. And that this will sort of be the test. So, looking forward to it. I would say Bayern uh, and Barcelona by a hair over Inter. Well, certainly Inter would uh, embellish the um, Europa League and it'll be interesting to see whether Barcelona are actually any better this season. Thank you for your predictions for Group C. Now time for a short announcement. If you love Borussia Dortmund, why not join us for a live game and have a couple of Dortmund Union beers at the Stamptich meetup of the official Borussia Dortmund fan club in London. We meet on match days at the Fitzroy Wine Cellar on Cleveland Street. For more details, head to our Facebook page or give us a call on 07459-394-121. And now, back to the show. Gentlemen, welcome back. Group D, Eintracht Frankfurt, the Europa League winners, have looked appalling this season so far in the Bundesliga. Um, but they were amazing winners at the Europa League. I will never forget that uh, semi-final against West Ham United. I think their fans were incredible, although they did make something of a display of themselves, quite honestly, and not in the best possible way. Um, Tottenham Hotspurs, I believe, Colin, you have something of a soft spot for them, so I'll definitely get you talking about the Spurs. And I've, yeah, I've been to both stadiums. I've been to the um, uh, Commerzbank Arena, which was then the Waldstadion. Um, high point going there was 2006 World Cup. I went to see Brazil against um, France with Zidane playing for France, which was incredible. It was his penultimate game. And uh, Spurs, I haven't been to the new new stadium, but I've been to White Hart Lane and seen the Wembley. Um, Dortmund also played against Spurs uh, about two or three times in the last sort of four years in the Champions League. First time uh, Dortmund uh, beat them 3-0 there at White Hart Lane and at home. And so, and then the next year at Wembley, we got hammered. Uh, very nicely, the fan club organised a party for 400 fans, which was amazing. Dortmund fans, incoming fans. And Jörg Heinrich, the former German international, came down to our pub in London, which you guys definitely need to come to sometime. And Sporting Lisbon, Dortmund also played, uh, I think it was about two or three years ago, um, and yeah, the green and whites bring a, a really great traveling fan group with them as well as expatriates from all over Europe. Um, so obviously Frankfurt will be flooded with Portuguese, I think, and Olympic Marseille. Well, Colin, I mean, you're down in Marseille right now, but I'm just going to make a prediction for myself. I think that Frankfurt are going to get knocked out and I think the Spurs and 
uh, sporting will go through in the group. And I think for me, the game of the uh, tie is probably going to be sporting against Marseille, but that's because I like, uh, I like that kind of um, Southern European football. Uh, Colin, you're a bit of a, you, you have a soft spot for Spurs, don't you? What, what's your predictions for group D? Indeed. Well, I think I think my soft spot, soft spot for, for Spurs comes about because of the fact that Pompey beat them two 0 in the FA Cup semi final at Wembley back in back in 20, 2010. But yeah, no, Spurs are probably my my favourite London club if I'm if I'm absolutely honest. And uh, I think I think I think uh, I think if anyone's won the Champions League draw, I think I think Spurs have won it, haven't they? You know, let's be fair. I think I think if they they could have handpicked a kind of like a group there, I think that that, that would have that would have probably been it pretty close too. So I think Spurs would be, be pretty confident about their, about their chances of, of getting, getting out of that group. Um, and obviously they, you know, they made a solid start to, to the Premier League this season. As you say, Frankfurt are perhaps struggling a bit, maybe a bit of a hangover after, after the, you know, the European triumph tri- last year. So I think from a Spurs perspective, it, 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 it's something that, um, you know, the, the, they'll be very pleased with this, this draw. I think, I think, you know, to be honest, I think they will be pretty happy with it as well, to be honest. I think, I think at the end of the day, they'll look at that, that, that group and think that, you know, they're capable of getting, getting into, into at least second place in, in, in that group. Uh, to say, I saw I saw a friendly. Um, I think it was a, their second or third friendly of the uh, of this preseason, and they played Norwich City, a kind of like a second tier team from England, uh, and, and and they got they got roundly thrashed three three nil, and, and yeah, they were lucky they got nil to be honest that that day. So they're very much in in, in a bit of a rebuild phase at the moment. Uh, Om, I see they they've signed recently. I think uh, Eric Bailly from uh, Manchester United on loan, so hopefully he, he'll kind of like stiff, stiffen up their their defence, obviously, when they meet PSG, they'll probably need need that defence stiffening up. If I'm honest, but I, th- I think it's very very much. Yeah, there's been a lot. There's been very very um a very very um a lot of turnover of players this, this summer at, at OM. But I think they're yeah they're beginning to find their feet now in in Liga, and you know they're still still got a few days of the transfer window to bring in maybe somebody else. So I, I, I kind of fancy them. I'm going to go for Spurs and OM to get get out of this group. So that's Spurs and Marseille, Olympique. Indeed. Interesting stuff. Well, I can certainly see Frankfurt coming at the bottom. And Frankfurt, by the way, have hired the mighty uh, Mario Götze from PSV Eindhoven, which was a pretty bold move. And it'd be interesting to see how he settles in at Frankfurt. They got absolutely battered, as I said, by Bayern Munich on the second day. Was it first day of the season? But um, anyway, just uh, over to you, Connor. Um, does, is is uh, Marseille, uh, have you found out yet whether Marseille is one of those trips that PSG absolutely dreads? At this point, if I, don't, if I think if we're being honest, I'm not sure if PSG dread any trip. They feel <laughs> extraordinarily confident going into every game. And and at times, perhaps that's the downfall um, in, in certain matches. I think <laughs> most likely we would have said that Lille were the toughest match for, for PSG in, in recent years. And then uh, at the end of last season, it was 5-1. And the other night, it was, what, 7-1. So that is at the moment that it just seems like they're capable of of turning a switch and and absolutely battering anybody. Marseille have started the season quite well. They're two points off of, of the top of the table. Um, they managed to get result the other night with ten men. It's, it's a, this group, I think, 
well, first, if I can preface this, Colin, we're not going to be in at odds only from Marseille and PSG, but I've always grown up an Arsenal fan. So it's, it's just, <laughs> we're, we were destined to meet in this podcast if only to, to butt heads. Um, but Spurs have got to be feeling absolutely terrific about this. Um, and I think there can be no no doubt with Conte at the reins, although he does have a bit of a mixed history in, in, in the Champions League, that they should be getting out of this group at the top. Um, I would be tempted to say to say Sporting are, are our second favourites, but the, the truth is you look at last year's performance and they were completely all over the place. Um, I think it was, it was last year that it was that Ajax absolutely battered them 4-0 four, four in in Lisbon. So it's just, it's hard to know at the moment that there's a lack of sort of coherence maybe in, in the results, but I think yeah. far and away Spurs, Spurs to, to win the group and probably sporting next. I'm just not sure Marseille, Marseille in Champions League in the last 10 years has been a bit of a disaster. So uh, yeah, hopefully for this, for the sake of French football, they can do it. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, time my... lucky. Absolutely. I mean, I was thinking in terms of the Marseille fans who have a very bad reputation. And uh, I, as I know, um, they, they they certainly are not very friendly towards PSG fans, put it that way. Mm. Yeah, it's, they're, it's, they're, not, they're not very friendly towards any set of fans, to be honest. <laughs> and I, I think I think the thing is, as well, with the OM fans, though, when, when OM aren't playing well, they're not very nice to their own team. So I think uh, yeah, yeah. They, 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 they certainly goes before them. And you can kind of imagine how that that that's gotten more extreme in the last 10, 15 years. As I mean, they went from being probably the biggest club in France to to struggling to to make it into the Champions League sometimes. So there's a bit of that a bit complex, maybe. Yeah, interesting. And uh, I remember very well. I think it was about seven or eight years ago. Kevin Grosskreutz. Uh, for scoring a a, a, a gold seated the two one goal uh, that took us through, I think it was two thousand fourteen fifteen something like that. Unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. The Marseille fans went absolutely insane. It was not good. It was mayhem. But Dortmund managed to go through, and they were going out. Group E, um, Colin, um, mighty AC Milan, which of course Pompey met in the UEFA Cup. I can't remember what season it was, but I know you were there because you wouldn't have missed yeah, it. Indeed. In the world. And uh, and then no. was, tell me, tell me. Yeah, it was it was um, two thousand and eight, November two thousand and eight. Probably, probably, probably one of the one of the greatest single pictures that's ever been played. To be honest, you know, kind of we were we we, we were two 0 up, and uh, we we were pegged back in the in, in the dying seconds to, to, to draw two two. But it was a fantastic night. Absolutely stunning. I mean, it's something that people talk about. I think it was a floodlit match, wasn't it? It was. Yes. Yeah. Very exciting. Um, and, of course, there's Chelsea. Uh, so, Groupie, Milan, Chelsea, which is Thomas Tuchel, Dortmund's former coach. Um, and uh, RB Salzburg, which Dortmund played against uh, in the Europa League, I think it was, two seasons ago. Uh, there was a big ultra bo bo boycott. Um, uh, many of them choosing to give their ticket money to Austria Salzburg instead of actually going to the RB Salzburg game. Uh, Austria Salzburg being the original club, which were restarted by the fans and then dropped down to the, they had to start again from the fifth or sixth tier 
got their way all the way back up to the first tier and are now in the second tier, uh, again, on the edge of teetering with bankruptcy. So um, interesting group. I think um, it's Dinamo Zagreb are going to be uh, very dangerous. I mean, um, uh, at the end of the day, a Croatian, a, a top Croatian side like that is always going to be uh, the joker in the pack one to watch out for. So my prediction um, for the top game, the most interesting game, I think is probably going to be, I mean, it's obvious, I suppose, really uh, Chelsea versus is AC Milan certainly a game I'd love to go to at Stamford Bridge um, and I think that um, with the sheer quality that they have at Chelsea especially if they manage to land our former striker Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang I see them and also an a former AC Milan by the way he grew up for he spent seven years with AC Milan in the academy um, I see Chelsea and uh, AC Milan going through personally uh, Connor how about you? What's your favourite ground uh, in Group E, and um, who do you see? What uh, what's what's the highlight for you? Who do you see going through? All, it's funny. Out of all these groups, I think this is one of the groups where I've actually only been to the San Siro. I've never been to Stamford Bridge, which is pretty pretty ridiculous actually at that point when you consider the amount of stadiums i've been lucky enough to go to um not, a wonderful group i i have i would say i i don't really have a team that i've i support in italy but i've always it just feels right to see ac milan in the champions league so it's just brilliant to have them back and and they have a, a good exciting team um obviously the the talisman now is is rafael rafael leao um but i think yeah <laughs> Having famously watched Arsenal go to Zagreb and get completely run off the pitch, I would agree on the sentiment that you cannot underestimate these these pot three and four teams from countries where it's it's really an honor just to play in the in the Champions League alone, and they'll give everything. So, a, a, a nice group, uh, I think, should be no question Milan and Chelsea top two between the two of them. I'm not really sure. Chelsea have I thought they looked brilliant against Spurs in the in the two two draw that they were probably yeah, un, unfortunate to to, to not yeah. walk away with two points and then I mean one week later looked absolutely you know not ready for the season against Leeds who just blew them out of the water um, if they get Aubameyang I think it will be a huge boost um, he's exactly the kind of player they're missing so let's see. I think I absolutely agree. Um, and Colin, um, do, you, do, you, do you find it bizarre to see uh, Arsenal, um, if I'm not mistaken, letting Obama Yang go on a free? He turns up at Barcelona, does a pretty good job down there. Um, and I may be mistaken by the transfer fee. Please correct me if I'm wrong. But then uh, Chelsea then spending big, big money to buy him back again, uh, some, somewhere up to, up to £20 million. I mean, the Premier League, when you look at it from a Bundesliga perspective, is insane because Mark Cucurella, 60 million or whatever it was you know and I probably pronounced his name wrong as well but I mean you know talking about Chelsea that's huge money and I mean even um, this uh, Brazilian player that um, in, um, uh, Manchester United have picked up and oh my god the name has escaped me right now but Casemiro Casemiro from Real Madrid I mean again that's like what was that 50 million plus I mean in the Bundesliga Dortmund's biggest ever signing is Sebastian Allaire uh, for 30 I think it's 33 million uh, euros I mean that, that that's big money but I it's, mean it's incomparable now I think um, that, that amount of money that it, it just just today I think of seeing stories about um, that young Swedish 
you saw going to to Newcastle, something around sixty million pounds for a player, former Dortmund player, who at Dortmund I think probably looked his best, if anything, in his career. I suppose he did have one excellent year at Sociedad, but this is a player who scored six goals in the league last year, and we're talking about a price tag near seventy million euros. It's just bonkers. It's absolutely it. It is. It is. The Premier League is is in a different money class. Um, and Alex Isak, I mean, he certainly did very well at uh, Real Sociedad. I believe he scored something like forty one goals in uh, in uh, one hundred and twenty, one hundred and thirty games. And uh, he's definitely he's good. He's got a good striking performance, but he uh, ratio. But at the end of the day, it is a lot of money. Um, Colin, any any uh, raises on on uh, AC Milan and Chelsea in that group? Yeah, well, I think I think you know it's an obvious one where, where I think Chelsea and AC Milan are the, are the you know clear favourites to go through there. But I think I think on on the money thing, just to kind of come back to that, because I think it's, it's an important point. You know, it, it is insane money because in the end, it, it might be the Premier League, but in actual fact, it has a knock-on effect to the Championship and League One and through through, through the English football pyramid. So you know, and th- this may be a controversial view, but actually, when the when when the Super League was kind of like mooted. I was actually kind of for it because because in actual fact those clubs that can spend that kind of money getting out of the the, the domestic game just would have made everybody's life and make it far more straightforward. I think to build a sustainable game in in, in England. So and I know that's a, probably a whole podcast we could we could go into that, but but it it it, it, is, it is ridiculous the money to be honest and. Uh, you know, that, 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 that whole kind of merry-go-round of the millions, just kind of sometimes you, you just get dizzy with it. You do get dizzy. And indeed, um, the African Football League has just been started uh, or, or is in the process of being started up in, in uh, uh, with a big price pot of $100 million and Gianni Infantino seems to be behind it. So it, the question is, when Colin and I, with Dennis Henton, our former Ajax goalkeeper, did a podcast on this on the European Super League a uh, couple of months ago, when, whenever that that was six months ago or so. Maybe it was a year ago. But, um, yeah, I, I, I predict that that uh, European Super League hasn't gone away. I mean, you know, let's face it. How is Barcelona spending that much money? I mean, it's absolutely insane if they don't know something that we don't know. Group F, um, Real Madrid, uh, one of my favorite teams, uh, Celtic Glasgow. And while we're on the subject, uh, just saying hi to uh, Joe O'Rourke, who runs the Celtic Supporters Association. Um, Dortmund played Celtic a couple of times in the 1980s which i was privileged enough to see i've never been up to um i've never been up to uh, celtic park up there and the jungle but um i've had plenty of invitations i'm looking forward to going real madrid dortmund played at the santiago bernabeu which i was at uh again i can't remember a couple of years ago i guess all the matches just merge into one and rb leipzig is a, is a team that dortmund uh, have very little regard for Personally, in this group, I think uh, what's very kind of congenial, if you like, is to see Shakhtar Donetsk. They're going to be playing their matches in the um, Kiev Olympic Stadium, which is a massive ground. Um, uh, A lot of people will have seen it in the European Championship, Poland, Ukraine uh, a few years back. And um, obviously they've had to move because of the conflict. But the Ukrainian league kicked off um, yesterday and uh, it's wonderful to see football being played again. And maybe it's a sign of good things to come. So looking at that group, I would say that um, probably quite honestly, and I know this is harsh, but I would see RB Leipzig um, and uh, Real Madrid going through, frankly, 
Um, I don't really see very much uh, other options, uh, to be frank. RB Leipzig are a good side. They're very well managed. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I think the Bundesliga is still relatively strong, certainly com- contrasted with uh, with the Ukrainian and the, and, the, and the Scottish League, even if Rangers did manage to knock Dortmund out. It was a very weak Dortmund side last year. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Game of the group, Real Madrid versus RB Leipzig and Real Madrid and Leipzig to go through. Uh, Connor? Yeah, I don't think there's can be much arguing that, on that, but there's the um, there's the part of me which loves the David against the Goliath that would imagine, wouldn't it just be, even if they don't make it out of the group, wouldn't it be the most wonderful thing if Celtic could somehow get a result against Real Madrid and be able to say in the last 20 years we've beaten Barcelona and Real Madrid? Um but I don't, <laughs> I mean, it, anything is possible. Anything is possible. And I mean, it was only, it was only last year that Realm did won the Champions League, but they also lost in the, in the group stage to Sheriff at home. So uh, crazy times, anything is possible. Shakhtar, you'd think also with the problems that Ukrainian clubs have had holding on to players. Um, we saw that in the Champions League qualifiers against Benfica. At this point, they went from having, you know, yeah, uh, a team of of of, of probably fifty percent Ukrainians to a hundred percent Ukrainians, and all their players are gone. So I, I don't, I don't, unfortunately, see much hope for them uh, in that way. Yeah, uh, got to be Leipzig and Madrid. Yeah, it's going to be. It's definitely. I mean, Dortmund played against Shakhtar uh, about about fifteen years ago, and um, you know those that black and orange strip is absolutely classic. I think they had Hulk or, or some top Brazilian player playing for them a couple of seasons ago. I don't know if anyone remembers. Yeah, there was a fantastic um, piece. I think it was in the Athletic a, f- a year or two ago about about that revolution of Brazilians and that that became the entire movement of, of let's bring in all these Brazilians through Shakhtar and in the, in the 2019 it was, and Hulk was there indeed. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they do have, I will say um, one player stood out to me. Um, I, I won't dare say his name because it's, uh, it's probably going to be so embarrassing the pronunciation, but uh, a young yeah. winger, I'll have to look it up, but um young Ukrainian winger scored a brilliant goal in a free season, uh, preseason friendly against Ajax um, for charity this year. And I thought looked one to keep an eye out for. Yeah, indeed. I had tickets for Borussia Mönchengladbach against the Ukraine national team um, a couple of months ago. And the atmosphere was absolutely electric. And obviously, um, you know, it's going to be a heartwarming scenes of Real Madrid playing at um, at the uh, Kiev Olympic Stadium playing Shakhtar. And I predict that that will be totally sold out. And it's a massive uh, boost for them, for that club and, and for the for the country of the Ukraine. Um, uh, before we move on to Group G, Colin, of course, your views. I mean, Celtic versus Real Madrid, that brings back beautiful memories of the 1970s and 60s and 50s even. I mean, you know, that's got to be the classic tie from a British perspective. Uh, for sure. And I, I think, yeah, I think I think I agree with Connor that it's, it's likely to be Madrid and, and Real Madrid and, and Leipzig to go through. That said, you know, I think Celtic's best chance, if, if they were at home to Real Madrid in, in, in the first game of the group, you know, because of the fact Celtic will be into their rhythm, they've been playing quite sort of like competitively since since the since the, the end of July. Whereas I think the Spanish season starts a bit later. That would probably be their best chance of getting a result. I think. I think so too. And um, talking about the final, the finals being played at the Ataturk Stadium in Istanbul, 
which is a pretty foreboding stadium to play. I can't remember what year. I think it was 2003, uh, that wonderful game with um, Jersey Dudek in goal when we were, well, we, I say, Liverpool. Dortmund fans have always had a, a great affinity. Uh, I was up at Anfield for uh, the uh, Europa League game when Dortmund uh, went out 4-3. Uh, I think it was Klopp's first season in charge at Liverpool. And uh, the, 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 the warm welcome of the Liverpool fans for Dortmund fans was absolutely fantastic. Um, but, uh, yeah, the final is at the Ataturk Stadium and um, uh, have either of you been to the to, to Istanbul for, for a football match and uh, how, how, how good a final do you think that will be? Never been to, to Istanbul unfortunately um, I did, uh, a colleague of mine was uh, was from Turkey a big Galatasaray fan and, and just constantly raved and said you can't beat the atmosphere in, in stadiums in Istanbul but um, I'm sure it'll be It'll be a fun place to have the final. Group G, Manchester City. Uh, that's Erling Haaland's Wiedersehen uh, with uh, Borussia Dortmund. Uh, the fans will be absolutely delighted to see Erling Haaland back. And I mean, that is the game of the group for me because, um, you know, when Man City come and Erling Haaland comes and Ilkay Gundogan comes back to Dortmund, it's just going to be magic. I mean, football romanticism at its absolute very, very best. Um, but Dortmund have played FC Sevilla last, I think it was last season or the season before, um, by pure chance. My sister lives in Seville, so I should say hi to Sasha. And um, definitely looking forward to that game as well, Dortmund-Sevilla. Uh, and FC Copenhagen, well, I mean, at the end of the day, um, you know, they're never going to be easy uh, to, to break down. Um, but I, I predict um, Sevilla and um, Manchester City to go through. I'm afraid Dortmund uh, under Edin Terzic at the moment, I may be a fan of theirs, but they're just not stable enough at the moment. And unless Sebastian Allaire uh, comes back and starts scoring, um, I just feel like with Daniel Marlin not really scoring a lot at the moment and uh, Yusuf Omokoku protracted contractual uh, negotiations, um, he's somehow insecure. Um, he hasn't really signed, that, he hasn't really scored that much since he has come up to the first team. And it just doesn't feel like Dortmund's season, to be frank. And we're only a few games into the season, but I predict that Dortmund are going to drop down into the Europa League again. And I just think the Spanish teams tend to be very powerful. And I can see, Man and I mean, you know, past results of the last few years, you know, the record Europa League winners, FC Sevilla. I mean, you know, you'd have to put some money on Sevilla and Man City to go through, I think. What do you think, Colin? Yeah, no, I think I, I can't see much beyond those two. Sorry, sorry, that's uh, been in, in that way. But but on the other hand, you know, Manchester City being Manchester City, you know, at the end of the day, they 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 usually have a slip up somewhere along the way. So maybe maybe that might be against Dortmund, and then that might at least make it a quite an interesting finish finish to the group. But I think in the end, you know, I think those two those two look to have the quality in that group to get out of it. I think fairly comfortably. Yeah, what's your what's your game of the uh, what's your game of the group, um, Connor? Um, well, I think yeah, City, City against Dortmund has got to be the game, hasn't it? Really, I, I would have thought the game at Dortmund would be the one that will attract most of the attention. So I think I think that's going to be an emotional occasion for for, for all concerned. I think. It will, but I'm sorry to say that Man City will probably crush Dortmund on both legs, and and that would be very painful. Connor, do you have good? Uh, what are your What are your vibes about Borussia Dortmund as a club? I mean, could you see yourself working for a club like Dortmund? I mean, you've been with two of the best with Ajax and PSG. Uh, it's a fantastic club. Um, 
I have been lucky enough to 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 go to Signal Iduna Park and see a game there. Uh, actually, against um, against Bayern Munich, it was it was a bit of a weird game because it was the um, it was the German Super Cup, and I actually it was a year where um, I think it was the last year of Jaden Sancho being there, and I, I believe Dortmund, yeah, Dortmund won two nil. They beat Bayern, um, yeah. But then the environment in the stadium was a bit different because I I know that the the Dortmund fans are not particularly keen on the idea of the Super Cup in general. Um, it's a fantastic club, um, and and as we talked about earlier, they suffer a lot of the same struggles as as Ajax in a different way. Of course, Ajax are are. In some ways, much more, you know, from a Dutch perspective, they're much more aligned with Bayern Munich in terms of, you know, they pick up all the players from the other Dutch clubs uh, and and they're by far and away the, well, that's probably not so fair to Feyenoord and, and Eindhoven, but uh, I think I'll be able to get away with it. Um, yeah. The biggest club in the Netherlands. Um, but inevitably, I think that everyone sees these players as, you know, it's gold. Any any player that comes out of of Dortmund and and Ajax is seen as something that's you know well sought after. Just to touch on uh, Sebastian Allaire, first of all, wonderful, wonderful guy, uh, true family man, super sweet, um, and and funny and lovely and lovely person to work with. I worked nice. with him on a number of occasions, um, and obviously with the the health issues had he's having at the moment, wish him all the best. Um, Absolutely he, right. He could not be more different of a player from Daniel Malin or Yusuf Mokoko. He is—he's a guy that's. It feels. I mean, look at last season. He—he he scored ten goals in the group stage, and you think a couple against Dortmund. A couple against Dortmund, and he—he he, at times it seems like he can he disappear from the match, and he pops up with a goal. No problem. He, he's expert in in being in the right right place at the right time, which is of course an undervalued uh, asset as a striker. But I think he will be sorely missed because it is in these kinds of games, you know, in a tough game against Sevilla or a tough away game that Copenhagen. Well, of course, they're probably the you know the favorites to finish fourth. That is a is a quite. I've been to the stadium. It can be quite an intimidating environment in those home matches. I'm sure they'll be fired up for it. That's a game where I think Dortmund will really miss Sebastian Allaire because he he tends to get just nick a goal here or there. Uh, you know, a strange finish. Um, but I do think probably City and Sevilla have to be favourites unless Sevilla fancy specifically going third so that they can win the Europa League for the hundredth time or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Colin, your predictions, who's going to come out of that group? I mean, uh, or are you sticking to Man City and Seville as well? Uh, Man City and Seville, I'm afraid, yeah. Absolutely. Before we come to Group H and the final group, and uh, obviously, Connor, you have an interest in that because it's PSG and you've got the mighty Juventus and uh, Benfica. And also, interestingly, Maccabi Haifa and indeed our guest on the podcast about the European Super League, Dennis Hentenau, was the um, he was the goalkeeping coach of um Maccabi Tel Aviv last season and uh, that made really really interesting listening to hearing about the Israeli Premier League which is certainly a league I'd love to go and watch sometime uh, and indeed they had uh, Tottenham Hotspurs playing a friendly because it's something we've never really seen so I think there's a sense of anticipation with all of us as to what you know what is this going to look like I think the number the first thing that comes to mind is injuries okay 
you know, this this many games, the the, the Champions League group stage, everything is becoming quite compact in the yeah. fall. So suddenly, you know, I know I saw the other day that Arsenal are meant to play something like nine games in the month of October, which is just utterly insane. Yeah. At the same time, as you said, you know, there's been a lot of shouts for a winter break in in the Premier League for a long time. And now you will have, I mean, let's face it, not every player is going to the World Cup. There will be a lot of players who have quite a bit of time off. Um, it's just going to be something totally different from anything we've ever seen. Uh, I hope that I hope that the focus can be quickly, for the, from a selfish perspective, I hope that players will be able to either overcome the disappointment of getting knocked out of the World Cup or you know, handle the joy of for the lucky few winning it in order to get their focus back within that two to three week window and get back into football because it just seems like so much focus in the World Cup for these players. Uh, in my experience, yeah, it's unmatched. The World Cup is such an insanely huge thing for them. So I think all of them are ultimately really focused on playing well right now with the means to go into the World Cup in good form and to get their place. And yeah. we'll just have to see just have to see and indeed there's a massive gap there between the last uh, Champions League uh, first round uh, round uh, being played on the 2nd of uh, of uh, uh, November and then we have to wait all the way till the 14th of February which is absolutely huge for the last 16 match um, Colin what do you think about the um, the the big gap and uh, do you think it's going to benefit England in terms of prospects of winning the World Cup um, I, I'm not sure it necessarily benefits England. I, I, I think I think the interesting thing is, is it is a huge wild card in the domestic season, and I, I think as we've said already, you know, games are being played earlier in the group stages of the Champions League. That's going to potentially have an impact on some of the early results potentially in the group stages. Um, and then, and then, of course, you've got this kind of big gap. It's almost like you're playing it in two seasons. It kind of feels feel, feels to to a certain extent. I, I don't, I don't think you'll benefit England particularly one way or the other. I think, I think at the end of the day, they won't have the excuse of being tired. But then, on the other hand, you know, they they, they they've done very well in the past two summer summer tournaments that, that, that they played in. So I think, I think, I think at the end of the day, you know. Yes, there's a lot of unpredictability there, and a lot. You know, we're not quite sure how how, how players and, and and teams are going to re- react to it. But on the other hand, I suppose that 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 is the same for everybody. So so the wild card is how how they will react. But I don't think there's a particular advantage. I think it it it, it might actually kind of throw up the um, unusual results here and there, which which you know at the end of the day is part of the sports appeal, isn't it? Yeah. That's right. It's really, I mean, the beautiful game. Absolutely. Um, Connor, over to you. Group H. I mean, obviously, Juve against Barcelona. Uh, sorry, against Juventus is obviously uh, Juve against PSG is obviously the the game of Group H, I think. And uh, I mean, from my perspective, uh, as much as I might like Maccabi Haifa or Benfica to go through, I think PSG and Juve are the two teams that will go through from that group. What do you, what, what is your, what is the vibe there in, uh, in PSG? Have you had any feedback about Group H so far and where do you think it's going to go? It was funny today in the office, we were all talking about which teams would you want to draw, which teams do you want to draw. And it's uh, it's kind of tough. Everybody's going for different reasons. But interestingly, a lot of people did say Juventus from the second group. Um, that would be a fantastic game in terms of two just massive European teams. Juventus are obviously in a very different place right now than than Paris Saint-Germain. I think the expectation at Paris Saint-Germain is to be in the Champions League final and to win it. 
Um, I think Juventus's expectations at the moment is to just get out of the group uh, after having you know missed out on Champions League and 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 been in a bit of a, a rebuilding state. Um, I wouldn't rule out Benfica just for the same same purposes. I you know I got punished ruling them out last year. A lot of people did at Ajax, thinking you know we should really be Benfica. Their league form wasn't so great, etc. They are capable of. They turn up in in European ties and they will play well. Um, that being said, I think Allegri will get get the results he needs to. Um, probably got to be PSG and Juventus. Um, interestingly, one last note. Uh, speaking of games being played in Israel with Maccabi Haifa, actually PSG just played the Trophy de Champion against Nantes uh, in Israel uh, only a couple of weeks ago and won that game as well. Yeah, exciting, exciting, bringing uh, spreading spreading the love. Um, Colin, before we wrap up and get your social media, uh, what's your predictions? And also, guys, uh, who's going to win the tournament? So it's uh, surefire. We've got uh, 90 seconds left. Colin, Group H, uh, and who's your favourite yeah. to win the tournament? Group H, well, I think this is the year PSG have got to deliver. They've been, they've been brittle in previous Champions League seasons. So I think, I think yeah, this season, and for French football, I, I hope, hope that they do. Uh, I'll add a little twist to this group, and I'm going to predict Haifa to go through simply because they're Portsmouth's sister city. So therefore, I'm going to show solidarity with Haifa, and I'm going to go for a coupon-busting PSG and Haifa to go, to go through <laughs> in this particular group. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll, I'm not sure I'd be seeing them winning the title though it's Man City for me to win the title Connor. I have to go with Paris Saint-Germain I think this is the year I think Gaultier is the guy I, I think it, it's it's uh, now or never I'll be, com- I'll be coming down to, <laughs> I'll be coming down to the Stade de France and I'm knocking on your door if you get anywhere near the final <laughs> sounds good <laughs> great guys thanks so much Doch der wahre Grund Stop.